to the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast is brought to you by Ping Hepler Putters, a series of nine models of adjustable length putters with a machine milled solid face for golfers who prefer a firmer feel and sound on the greens. Multi-material mallets and mid-mallets provide extreme forgiveness while a premium contrasting copper and black finish provides alignment cues over every putt. A stiffer adjustable length shaft First released with the popular Sigma 2 range, comes standard with each and every model. Play your best on the greens by putting a Hepler putter in your bag. Available now. Check out the whole range at ping.com. Now on to today's show and we have Philbert back in again and a very special guest appearance today from the man himself, the myth, the legend, Dion Kipping Kipper, boys, lads, lovely to see you both. Mate, good, happy to be here. I, uh, I, it's been a while between drinks. Oh, bull crap. I call bull crap. I call bull, crap, bull crap on crap. that, Kipper. You know, <laughs> finally, our people got together with Kipper's people and we came to an agreement, even though we're all part of the same business. And we all agreed that Kipper would come and do this podcast. And we all know how much he loves yeah. doing things like <laughs> Mate, this. We'll don't talk we, in don't depth know? about my love for podcasts pretty soon. <laughs> We don't start with loves. We're going to start with hates, D. Yeah. So uh, you want to tell us what you what what is what's your hate? This uh, week, podcasts <laughs> surprise us with a hate, D. Oh, these things podcasts they drive me bloody nuts. I think half the issue is the the setup, and then the second half the issue is the talking. <laughs> Not a huge fan. Look, to yeah. be fair to to listeners out there. Dee's had a little bit of technical um, hiccupery, hasn't he, Phil? That's my life is <laughs> a technical this- hiccup. <laughs> he's had he's had more hiccupery than we did at the X Golf Indoor Championships uh, or Indoor Challenge. But what I will say is that, so Kipper, other than the talking <laughs> and the technical side, you're a oh, bit of a fan huge, of podcasts. Is huge. that what we're saying? Uh, listen to them daily. Try to do as many as I can myself personally, and just chime into this one uh, probably twice a year. And they're the two that they're the two well, that you twice. actually listen to. That uh, <laughs> that you're on, so that's good. Uh, no, Philly, it's um, yeah, it's a work in progress. The old podcast for me. What what is it about that? Like, what is the given someone with your knowledge and experience and all the little stories going around in your head? What is it about I, podcasts that annoy you? I, just the mention I, of podcast. No, to be honest, put the finger on it. The only thing I would undoubtedly say is that I, I find it. You guys will laugh at this. I'm already setting myself up for a massive uh, home run here. I find it very difficult actually talking about uh, things I've done in the past in a gloating manner. And therefore, (laughs) yeah. Now, now I know you're flabbergasted, but I, I don't like doing it. I actually hate doing it. How do you do it? How so do you do a I fake like news meme? I know you're ready to just chime in, Dane. I'm going to keep talking here, so you can't. I I, I love telling stories about what happened because that um, makes me really relive some wonderful times. But just the, you know, when you look at all these clowns on Insta and all these people that just self-promote and yell about from the trees how good they are and what they've done, and all, I genuinely hate doing it so we, we all actually all three all three of us genuinely hate the whole self-promotion yeah. thing which is so, so <laughs> which so, is why sorry so, so to finish i guess when it, when i say I, I hate podcasts i suppose i do i get almost anxiety about it um i know that that'll get laughed off again here but i just i, I don't like take talking take your pills about and move on. stuff that yeah you, where you feel like you're you're raving about things that that you've done i don't like that so that's me anyway that's just yet yet kipper when it comes to dropping names, they just flow smoothly. <laughs> There's off no one finer. So you're so worried about self-promotion about the time I had McDonald's with Tiger. Oh, you know, then there was the time that you know I was playing with Phil. Oh, and then there was that time with Norman in his helicopter. That's oh, so Jack told me when I was Westie, playing with Bads. Hang on a minute, that's Ben just Crenshaw. About, uh, I, can't, Sevy. I can't leave their names out of the story because you wouldn't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, Sevy>. it'd <laughs> <laughs> be just like me going over to Macca's with Shooter. No one cares oh, well, about that story. That's hurtful. <laughs> That's hurtful. Well, it wouldn't happen for one. No, anyway. I know. You're the one that wouldn't eat, eat Maccas, but I would. Philly, you've got a hate for us. Let's get this thing moving along. What's upsetting you this week? Uh, look, I, uh, mine's a, a pretty clear one, and this is golf course taunting. And this comes up a little bit and has come up in previous uh, podcasts as well. 
even though I hate talking about myself, <laughs> what I hate talking about myself more, Kipper, the, is talking about people's wins that they're having elsewhere. And so when I get an email from John from Chicago uh, advising me that, uh, yeah, show me about the Ryder Cup being cancelled. Anyway, I'm off to play Whistling Straits <laughs> next week. He, I tell you, he can stop talking about himself. He can bite the big one. <laughs> he has put him in it. I love it. My hate this week, lads, is um, this is going to be a bit controversial, and I know I'm glad I'm socially distanced from Phil right now because this would this is going to upset you, Phil. I'm sorry. Is it me but, coming um, on podcasts? <laughs> I hate. I hate that I don't rate Caddyshack as a great golf movie. There you go. I've said it. I've said it. I know. I just don't get me wrong. I, I like it. I love the one-liners in it. I'm a huge Rodney Dangerfield fan. Love him. Love Chevy Chase. But there's no plot to this. The storyline, it's weak, if if anything. The acting's poor. The screenplay is just so uninspiring. Yes, it has great quotes, and I agree with that. But And I know I've probably just alienated half our listeners, so all four of them will, might be a bit upset with me. But to be honest here, <laughs> Phil, I, I, honestly, I hate- that I don't rate it because I know how much you love it. And if, um, I want to love it, Phil. I want to love it, but you just can't force love, Phil. For Hashtag listeners, I've got, to, I've got to interject here. For listeners out there, you can't see Philip, but he is just turned his chair around. He's looking at the back of the room. He's very, very angry. You'll have to calm down to answer this. I'll throw just, it to you, just Phil. To, just to throw, just to throw a, a little thing, un, a little, little bit more under the, um, into it. Inject a little bit more into it, Phil. I declare that Happy Gilmore is a better movie. Discuss. <laughs> it's not about discussions, Damien. It's just about hates. You've declared your hate and let the listeners be. <laughs> All right. Touch. Okay, Phil. Taking the fifth. I think he's he's actually rattled here. So oh, he's, um, oh, he's, he's angry. He is angry. No, we had this discuss. We did have this discussion a little bit, and and, and Caddyshack. So here's how we paint it as a movie. It's great because there are 50 of the great lines in any movie of all time. Happy Gilmore has got a great plot and 15 good lines. 50. Caddyshack has got a, an okay plot, no plot and a 1,000 good lines. And so plot. you're right. As a movie, because we've got to all be the Leonard Moulton as opposed to someone who can just enjoy <laughs> great comics, feeding great the lines. lines. I've only got one thing to say to you, Damien. Gunga. See, that's Gunga. my point. These, the lines have nothing to do with golf. Like, don't uh, – sorry, I'll rephrase. What do you mean I'll the lines have nothing to do with golf? They're in I the context of golf. The Dalai Lama rephrase. was a golfer. You claim to be a long ball hitter like the Dalai <laughs> I'm Lama. saying that a lot of them have nothing to do with golf. They could be in any movie and it would not be – and you'd still say it's funny. Rodney Dangerfield is the key. He carries you, it. No, I don't want to. We're moving along into <laughs> – Give me an example from Happy Gilmore of a line that relates solely to a golf movie. Like, what, let's go eat some hay, I just may. How is that golf specific? <laughs> not every line, Phil. <laughs> I said hey, the best line. <laughs> quickly that's, to finish on, Dave. That's your home. Won't you go home? Are you too good for your home? Answer me. Suck my white ass bolt. I mean, come on, Phil. Are you, are you only comparing go two on. here? Because you've said it's not a good golf movie. What other ones? Are you, are you got bag of ants. What, what other ones are throwing? Are you throwing in the mix? No, but I'm just saying that those two are considered the two the two you greatest. Can't, that's you all. can't start answer a question with no. <laughs> he asked you. He asked you an open question. That if is it's not, not a, yes a good or no golf question. movie. What is? You can't. I'm t- I just told you, Happy Gilmore was. I didn't. I'm not saying it's not a good movie. I'm saying it's not. It shouldn't be held in the esteem at which it is. And that said, sorry, Kipper. I know that you agree with me on this, and you're just no, backing no, yourself no, into the corner because he I, looks I, angrier. I'm not backing out of that. I do agree. It's a pretty ordinary. It's called verbalize. Is that a word? Verbalize. You're not, you're not helping my no, argument. Movie. No, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's not a great movie in that that sense. But. Gee whiz, there's not a lot to compare it to. Like you watch Bag of Ants, you watch Follow the Sun, you watch a few of these other movies. They're all pretty ordinary. Um, so Bag of Ants is pretty good. What's that? Bag of Ants is pretty good. Oh, <laughs> we'll move. We'll move on to some loves because Philly's getting a little bit upset here. He's definitely just staring he's, down the mic. He's he's pretty angry, Philly. Have you got any? Have you got? Have you got a love? Come on, let's bring this up. Let's let's get this back up on track. Because everything now has to relate to golf and every word has to do with golf. <laughs> so my love, my, no, my love is the purity of going back to where it all started. And, it, and it, this occurred to me Friday afternoon playing nine holes of golf with a half set, carrying the bag, bag slung over your shoulder on a beautiful afternoon. And it's a long time since I've started playing golf. It might almost be as long as you've been alive. Very good sure. chance. <laughs> But I got this very strong feeling that this is where my golf 
journey began. Different golf course, but it actually felt the mm. same way. It felt like one of the first rounds I'd ever played, same sort of form line. But it was just this purity of half set over the shoulder, having to think about shots rather than just going, oh, is it four iron or five iron? No, no, is it is it five iron or seven iron? Hitting different shots, being creative, embracing the inner sevy, and I just loved every minute of it. Nine holes, playing as a two, every minute of it. It was fantastic. <laughs> and, yeah, I agree. And were, you wear, and were you wearing a mask back then as well? <laughs> I was just waiting for the applause from the crowd, but it just it just didn't come. Oh, Philly. Philly. No, but my, my, you know, he my gives love, you nothing. That's not my love this week is um is actually a little bit similar to yours, Phil. It's just it's the freedom that we get from playing golf, or the freedom that is golf, and particularly at the moment in a you know in an age when we've collectively you know we're all feeling a little bit like caged animals. Just getting out into those open spaces with a club in hand and and hitting some balls and breathing the fresh air. Just that sense of freedom is something. That we can, we often take for granted, and I really, I love it. I love it, Dees. And I also think um, I'm going to follow you, uh, trail you in on that one, Dames. I'm going to also back the freedom because I think, it, in essence, it's why golf's exploded, well, especially in this country, but I imagine it's everywhere around the world exploded during this virus or pandemic because it's just, it's almost brought you back to why everybody plays or should play this game anyway. It's the calmness, mm-hmm. it's the relaxation, it's stepping away from the hustle and bustle that is life. And this is one of the only sports available to, to us to do, but it's also mm-hmm. the calmest of them all where you can enjoy an honest chat with a mate for a long period of time and, and just ease yourself around the nine and, and walk off calmer and more at ease with yourself than what you started. And there's not many other things that you can do like that. So that's, I think you're spot on. I think it's the freedom of it. Yeah, definitely. And there's no question that it's been promoted, and to your point, during during COVID epidemic, pandemic, or according to some people, <laughs> conspiracy, and I'll get onto those dickheads. Oh, no, I didn't have a chance to have a crack at them. They were going to be my other We yeah. could have the whole anyway, podcast on them tools. Nice job. Yeah, I, I don't wish ill of you, but I hope you get it. <laughs> wow. But this idea of, of the fact that people, because they can't travel mm. to play golf, and if, like, we're based in Victoria, in Australia, for those listening internationally, John from Chicago, the idea that um, we can actually go and play golf, the idea that we can be free is helping um, It's helping the sport. It's been the greatest thing, and we spoke about in the last podcast. Is COVID the mm. best thing that's ever happened to golf? There's no question it's the best thing. That and Tiger Woods are the two things, the best things that's happened to golf in the last There's no doubt, because years. I've found, like with my, I suppose, my coaching, it's been such a, a different or a change in, in 20 years like of how people – perceive their ability to play golf because you know nowadays like male roles are are much more sharing which is you know spot on they weren't they're not just getting out on the weekend and just leaving everyone at home that they're like they've got responsibilities so that changes the the seven till seven work life is much more prevalent through most offices it's no longer you know nine to five and get out and have a hit afterwards it's just not happening for those people so there's there's a real time poor issue that's floating around with people and this has made life obviously stop but some people have got time and they're, they're relishing the opportunity to get out and actually play and, and fall in love with the game that they you know, haven't been able to do because of the time issue. It's Well, we're lucky that this time around golf has been included in the sports we're allowed to play. I mean, we went off we went off in the earlier earlier pods about clearly the class class warfare around golf being seen as a rich man's game, but it's been horrific the amount of the amount of suicides we've seen over this period, mm. far far more than than has have been given or have given into the um, into COVID, mm. and I'm, I'm glad that the that the state government's come to a, um, come to its senses this time around and has allowed people to get out and exercise their meant a bit of mental exercise as well with golf that has been mm. so crucial to so many people. Now I don't want to make light Domo exactly what you said because you know that we talk a lot about mental illness we've spoken a lot about it on this this podcast and the desire to, to get behind it. But here's a little bit of a quirk and this is something that I was not expecting. Is there anything weirder than playing golf? Wearing a mask? <laughs> no, there couldn't be. Have you done it yet, Dames? <laughs> no, I've I've had a I've had a hit outside in a not an eight meter quicks to range net, but in a in a range net film, um, and put it <laughs> put it on just to see what I was getting myself ready for. And oh my god, I'm not looking forward to it. So, What's, what were your thoughts uh, it was on it? Really Kipper? interesting because I um as I normally do, just whilst on the first tee with zero 
warm up, <laughs> which is probably everyone these days because you're not allowed to hit balls in any Thank net you. Or thanks to thanks to Colin Montgomery. Yeah. I'll drop that one for so you. I just waltzed onto the tee and I had my mask on. I didn't think twice about it. I just pe- pe- pegged up my ball and made a pass at it. And as I got to the top of my backswing, I kind of lost sight of the ball. <laughs> and I, that's never happened to me in my life because the corner of my mask blocked my, my left eye. So I come through and hit the thing, luckily. And uh, and then I started to get the heebie-jeebies over, am I going to be able to see the ball on my next swing? And that was only one swing in. So, uh, yeah, it was a, oh, I found it more difficult from, the I guess, an eyesight point of view. <laughs> do, do either of you find it at all claustrophobic? 100%. I, I did yeah. 100%. I, I felt it. So I didn't feel I was getting enough yeah. air in. And look, at poor me. I mean, like, seriously, I'm, yeah, I'm free yeah, enough to go and play golf in the COVID environment. So we want to preface all that. Yeah, you poor me. Woe be, be me. But I didn't feel like I was breathing in enough. I overheated. Like, I could have been playing in a singlet and a <laughs> pair of jocks because I felt the amount of heat. It's amazing how much body heat mm-hmm. you do breathe out. And then when it's actually re- recirculating or actually sitting in front of mm-hmm. your face, how warm you get. And not only that, I'd like to apologise to anyone who's ever been close to me in my life. My breath stinks. <laughs> Have you ever tried brushing? <laughs> no. What's brushing? Uh, oh, I tell you what, though, there's there's some merit in, uh, in merit, merit in that though with the dif- difficult of breathing because you, you now really feel for when you understand people have breathing issues. I've been very fortunate never had asthma or anything mm. like that, but. Yeah, like the, sh- the current sh- or the constant shortness of breath, terrible, isn't it? Because we can just yeah. whip off the mask and have yeah. a quick gasp of air. Yeah. They can't do that. But that was the amazing thing. That, that was, You're sorry, right. Shruti, but for me, that was the most incredible thing was actually playing like a hole in a mask and then just looking around and sneaking, sneaking your nose out or your mouth out and just breathing. Mm. And the difference mm. in the air quality mm. of actually being able to breathe. So it is something that, that we should sort of fight for that right to have the freedom of breathing. But in order to do that, we need to do the right mm. thing, which gets me back to the COVID witching. <laughs> I, I can't even uh, talk about it. Yeah, well, the reason, uh, it just, mm-hmm. it's because it's so um, emotive because people are losing their businesses. You know, me, lost, I had to shut one of them. Like, you know, people are losing their livelihoods. People like, there's bigger fish to fry. And when people aren't doing the right thing, it's super frustrating. Like, just... It's no other word for it. You just, just and then you see the old Karen from Bunnings, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> to take it to take a, um, a devil's advocate approach, boys. There, we've, there's also another side to it where you've got people who are saying a lot of the things that are being put upon them are not necessarily backed by the science or backed by the medicine. And I think because there's been mistakes, I think the second time around has really tested people's resolve. Mm. They've the first time around, I think a hell of a lot of people did the right thing. Uh, in fact, I think the vast, vast majority of people did the right thing, and then there was some things that allowed some things that were allowed for certain groups that wouldn't have been allowed for everyone else who was who was a law-abiding citizen. And then we've had spikes, and it's just a frustrated people, and anger's built up. And when people get angry, when the mob gets angry, things get nasty. And I think that's a, a big part of where we're at down here at the moment is it's very polarized. Mm. I think people are very polarized. I agree. Do the right thing. I'm not. I'm not jumping on that side. I'm saying. I understand why people are as angry as they are, though. Mm. I think it's yeah. easy just to go. These are all just these are all just mouth breathers, can eating people. I think mean, that's a load of crap. Yeah. I don't I don't buy that for a second. I think people have genuinely have real frustrations, and they're voicing it in different ways. Not for the the conspiracy theory type stuff at all. But I, I think I think we've got to be a bit careful. Just call it. You know, everyone's under a lot of stress at the moment. I think, and that includes the politicians. Mm. Yeah, this is the same guy who thought that caddy shakes crap. <laughs> So, everyone, listen up. So, choose sides whether you'd like to take on anything that Shooter has just said or not. All right. But but how are you going to change the game, Shooter? More importantly, like give us something that can help freshen the game up in our mind. Well- Because I proposed the, the interesting side of Mars. Yeah, no, you didn't really give us a game-changing thing there at all, but let's yeah, pretend no, that no, you did. Move- playing, I've got one for you. Just to, make, just, just to get a bit of confidence back in your game, because I know we haven't been playing a lot, I reckon this would change people's- games entirely and more importantly give them a massive boost in a um confidence way play every one in 10 rounds play your opposite hand play left-handed just for just for nine holes what do you reckon well mm. (laughs) (laughs) you don't i was about to say it's easy to say when you could just go can i get a left-handed set of that um well, no, but the whole, my whole idea, again, it's, it's obviously tongue-in-cheek, but the idea would be that 
people get stuck in themselves, expect so much from them from the swing when they aren't practicing nearly enough or they don't have the time to practice enough. Then they go out and play and like, oh, I'm playing so terribly. Play left-handed and realize how good you actually are. Because mm. you sw- when you go back to your, to your normal hand, you'll realize that, hey, not when, nowhere near as bad as I thought. And when you're playing freely, a bit more freer, you'll play better. That's the theory anyway. <laughs> there was a trainee many years ago, and I'm talking late- no, no, 1800s? Uh, oh, gee, late 90s. We weren't born there. Um, at Eastern Golf Club when it was uh, not in- Anyway, at Eastern Golf Club, and his name was uh, James Bonnet. And James um, was a very, very good player right-handed and got so frustrated with the game, he quit and then took it up left-handed. Uh, and within 12 months or 18 months, and I'm probably misquoting, and I think I've mentioned this story before, but he came down to about eight as a handicap. And the famous stories of David mm. Graham mm. playing off scratch. Or Mac O'Grady. Um, and I think there's yeah. Mac O'Grady, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot of examples of, of these guys. But not only that, even if you didn't want to practice left-handed, practicing left-handed escape shots, because mm. I know that like one of the shots that I look forward to hitting, like when I'm short in the trees, is actually chipping out when I have to flip a club, club on its toe and hit out left-handed because I know I can do it and it's not it's not a party trick, but I know I can do it and therefore I'm not just, just on, of it. Just on that, days, would you recommend people learning to play that shot backwards or having, you know, some guys actually sacrifice a wedge, so to speak, and have a, have a left-handed <coughs> club or an opposite-handed club in their bag for those situations? Would you recommend that or just learning how to hit it backwards? No. Nah. Do you know anyone? Do you actually know anyone who carries a single left-handed club in their bag? <laughs> absolutely. Who carries left-handed? You, club? Yeah, you absolutely. You mix in very different circles. No, no, he's me. left-handed, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you, 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 Sorry, you're sure. an idiot if you put a left-handed club in your bag and you're right-handed. That's just that's <laughs> there that, you go because you're just <laughs> coughing up a fourteenth club that you could actually use. And and like Phil says, it's one in a million. But you you do need to have the shot. I reckon there's a cap, though, on your handicap level when you should, let's call it, put that switch switch hit in play where you, you put the toe down. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon if you're a single-figure player, yes, you'll have the skills and understand enough of the dynamics to flip the toe down and actually hit your shot and possibly do it quite successfully. But once you start to get above 10 and, and uh, into the teens and 20s, that shot is quite complicated for a number of reasons. And, yeah, you're probably just hurting yourself. You might as well just hit it with the back of a three-iron left-handed if you if you can or if you've got three-iron still or four-iron because um, even though the face is weird and you've got a cavity back, it'll still come out quite okay. You're better off just having the club normal rather than toe down like Phil says. That's that's a that's a quarter. You've got to train that, don't you, Phil? Oh. Well, Kipper, it seems that you're not Ooh. short of an opinion. You'll settle into this podcast thing very well. <laughs> did, did, did you have, any, did you have oh, anything we can add into our game changes here, Dees? I've written down thing, here groups of two. Yeah, I, I've uh, mentioned that to you because I've only – I can't remember the groups of two ever, really. I mean, hardly ever you get a chance these so what days. Do you, mean? So you mean going out and playing in groups of two? Yeah, the, because in the last – forced to now. Correct. In the last few weeks, um, that's all that's been able to happen at most courses, groups of two. It's great and, for Phil. He can play with all his mates. Well, it's, I tell you what's awesome about it is you – you know when you're playing a group of four or three for that matter, but but namely four, you get always bunched up into four, hopefully four mates, but sometimes a couple of ring-ins or a ring-in. And in all honesty, you walk off a tee normally talking to one person as the other person goes you know, the other way or two people go the other way. And, and then you might be three holes in before you've kind of even talked to, let's call it one of the other partners, and then you choose to hang back and talk to them. And it's like you're always never really, I suppose, engaging in conversation with everybody because most time you only get off the tee and then you're all in de- different directions anyway. With the two balls that I've been playing, it's been brilliant. You've got one person to chat to, so you find out a lot more about where they're at just with everything in their life for the day. And you can follow them to their ball, watch them hit, walk up, they watch you hit, and it's extraordinarily quick. Like I'm, I've had yeah. I don't know, four rounds, I think, since, the, since this stuff's hit. And I'm playing in like an hour and a half, hour and forty max for for um, nine holes, and you just fly around. It's I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. That's a nice change. Enjoying mm. your golf at the moment, Dave. The playing the <laughs> yeah. playing with the two people thing. If you like shooter and you only like playing golf in a cart, this whole two people thing. You know, he's never played in a group before. He's been in a tea time with a group before, but he's never played in a group before because you jump in the car. Further to my point, it's exactly right. And you, you know, you also you get your, you know, when you're playing in a group before, you get your favourite. 
one that's you know either you get along with real well or that's you know reasonably equal to your level and's closer to your ball so you get to chat more like the guy that's yeah you, know, you don't get along with with well he <laughs> just yeah you know, no one talks to him much so i think this is a, a much better way they call me the sacrificial mm-hmm. lamb kipper I play that role in most groups is that that's right. There's always got to be one in the group we don't want to talk too much. Hey, we've yeah. got Phil today. Yeah, that's right. We, the three well, of us we, can talk We've got some stories to, uh, to talk about, Phil, because I had to do that for the nearest side of 12 to 15 years, talk to Joe Punter on the <laughs> um, on the tour because caddies have to talk to whoever the pro-am partner is and uh, that, that can be some interesting conversation for five hours. <laughs> Tell you, if, if we never negotiate your way back onto another podcast, we'd love to explore that. Could that. Be, that could be interesting. Exactly well, the quick one, I'm about to name drop here. Who was the most antisocial golf player we're gonna of all just, time? Okay, keep going. I'll talk about it another day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going we're gonna to get moving on. Uh, we're going to move into the gear, gear effects section here, boys. But before we do, I just want to kick off. Uh, I've just got a text come in. Dees, your new ping irons are, uh, are on their way down to you, so you'll have them in the next week. Oh, tremendous news. Are you I actually can't exci- wait. You're genuinely excited about this, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> After we did the- that fitting. Yeah. So, Philly, gear effect, <laughs> over to you, big guy. I'm, I'm quite keen to find out about Kipper's gear because I know from that fitting, what he went through with Maddie at the Ping Fitting Centre, that it was that it was absolutely yeah, it was. thorough. And I think some of the results were interesting, even that combination of hybrid versus crossover. So, I, I look forward to actually maybe – Heaven forbid, playing golf with you at some stage, Kipper. Uh, That'll never happen. That, I mean, even if it means that I have to hire you for a <laughs> round as a playing lesson. I mean, I know you don't like podcasts or doing anything about bragging, but you're a hell of a coach, apparently. <laughs> so you told not us. That we'd know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Over and over and over. And not that it's helping divot. But my question is, what's been the longest serving club in your golf bag? Because every now and again, over the journey – Despite all the changes in mm. technology and everything else, there's always a club yeah. that you always have either fallen back to. Or you well, the last the last club, the last club change. I saw Dee's, I saw Kipper serve with. He split his leg open. So, um, <laughs> I did too. In a in a epic I, game of of uh, those, golf uh, those nice ping wedges, they certainly have a sharp leading edge. <laughs> yeah, dug into the old uh, shin bone. That'll come out on the um, the show for everyone to watch. But geez, some some unpleasant times for the Dion around the tennis court. Love it. But is there a club that, that you've ever had days that you've just yeah. stuck with it and believed that it was the- Probably the two. One was just a putter I had for years because it got built for me and I just never changed. And uh, I learnt- hey, Built for you by Scotty who? Cameron. Go on, Kipper. Go on. Do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Did he ask oh, yeah, about yeah. me? Actually, an awesome story, that one too, but I'll, uh, I'll leave that. <laughs> it's actually Scotty that. Cameron from Cronulla, though, Phil. It's a different one um, altogether. No, but- uh, but Well, hang no, on. No, no, keep it. You no, don't no, gloss sorry, over I'm going to have to stop there. I'm allowing <laughs> okay. you to hijack this. It's an awesome story. So he said. And so given the fact that your legal team and our legal team are both quite expensive, let's- have yeah, you got it I'll off the tip of your tongue? I'll try as short as possible. First time ever in the States, Bads and I- um, we're flown to there Carlsbad to have a day of basically testing. So we went Ding. to the Titleist Test Facility, tested heaps of clubs Ding. there, and t- Tigger was uh, in the next little booth, ping and balls. Ding. So we got to watch him hit pills, and then we hit balls, and that place is unbelievable. Arm guards, uh, armored guards, I should say, as you enter, and unreal. Oh, that's another story in itself. But then we went out of there, and we went to Scotty's factory, and Scotty had just hit, hit it big um, a few years before that. And, uh, yeah, he just took us through his process of how he fits pl- players and the, the concrete that, you, obviously, your mat sits on. When I say mat, putting studio, that he's rolled all the, um, the, the, the putting studio with great um, grass that rolls at about 11 or 12. But the, he waits for the concrete to get to a certain temperature. I can't remember what that temperature was, but a certain temperature because then it runs true. Before that, it breaks, and after that, it breaks. So he sets all his uh, in-studio fittings for a certain hour when he knows the concrete's going to be the same temperature. And yeah, then you get in there and watch all your stroke and whatnot. And then, um, yeah, he puts it on file and shows all your low points and launch angles and everything you, you're doing. And then builds a putter according to your stroke, which is very different to how a lot of putter fits go these days. They build putters according to your line, loft, and maybe a bit, a bit, bit about your low point and they put more loft in and all the rest of it. Well, he sort of started that, but to a very specific manner. So once you all your data's on file, you get your putter built. It's one-off, casted from not bent or anything like that. It's actually built and, and moulded. And then you get it sent to you. And it's like Christmas because you get this amazing part of that you know is right for your data. But should you change your stroke at all, go different grip or different ball position, wider stance, more tilt, anything, he just says come straight back in because the putter won't fit you and it's not right. So once I had a putter that I knew fitted my DNA and I measured my ball 
you know, distance out, stance, width, forward, tilt angle, all that sort of stuff. And I knew what they were. I just had them as reference points for the next 10 or so years. And that's why Bad's had the same putter for, yeah, close to 15 years until he freaking bent it. Idiot. <laughs> but uh, up until then, he had the same putter. It was so old. But when you win nine out of 15 years, best, US, mm. best putter on US Tour, you, you don't change it. But yeah, that, that's one club. But the second club was me driver. <laughs> <laughs> which I got from a tour van and I don't know why because it wasn't fitted to me um, but it, I stole it off Bads and um, back in 2000 and this thing just I've never hit anything that was so consistent so I had it in my bag for oh, it must have been nearly 15 years and tested it against everything else that came out but mm-hmm. it still didn't nothing really beat it the newer drivers had about five to seven yards on it in launch monitors so it was getting out hit by you know at least a probably half a club to a club difference but nothing substantial but the the, the dispersion on it was unbelievable anyway i got my car flogged and uh, left two sets of clubs in the back both with my scotty cameron putters and my driver and everything disappeared in case you're listening yeah. double and there was even worse about that is that about three months later this guy comes in and he's like, um, I think I've found your clubs. And he, he dead said had two of my woods. And uh, he goes, oh, and they had putters there. Um, but I didn't get the putters because I didn't think much of them. These putters are priceless. Like, you see them on eBay for seven and $8,000. Oh, no. putters. They're sitting in a market somewhere in Preston and gone. So, anyway. Still Incredible. a bit hurt. Still a bit <laughs> But I wanted to let you yeah, get it off you. your chest, Kipper. And I wanted to let everyone know that we're on to the people who took your car. They don't know that we are, but they're listening and we know who they are and we know where they are. And the people who pulled up out the front of our house when we talked about new tropics tropics. uh, are currently we're arranging for a little bit of a visit. So you might still get your putters back. You never know. Although you do have some pretty good new ones coming your way anyway shortly. Well, that's the thing. I can't wait. Phil, I've got one for you for this week. So, COVID, this thing's overtaken our life. It's overtaken the sport. It's it's just, it's changed everything on every bloody level that there is. Let's adopt it and bring it into the game now. Why don't we all start wearing two gloves? Hey? Hey? I know I've convinced Dees to wear one glove you know, now and the, the virtues of it in our, in our um, uh, glove, to glove or not to glove. I think you'll find that Dees... Even in that, ask the question, well, then why don't yeah, you wear listening. two? <laughs> no, no, quite clearly by how quickly you dismissed his suggestion that? because that's because yeah. I don't wear a glove either, Dees. And so that's the that's the interesting thing of, well, hang on, if you're going to – are we going for so – you're super spreaders. Because no one's ever been able to explain to me why well, you so, don't wear that's two interesting, gloves. Phil, because you are the, uh, the product guru. Has no one – that's, that's an interesting thing because you'd know if anyone would. Is there no real scientific reason why there's one glove and not two? Yeah, I see. None. It's a bullshit. It's this, this arbitrary feel thing. Oh, you can't give up the feel. feel. One's grip, like the left hand's grip, for your top hand's grip and the bottom well, hand's feel. It's an easy, <laughs> it's a, it's an easy one for me. I just don't like, I don't like the feel of wearing a glove, but it helps. So you wear it. So you can endure one. You don't have to endure two. But now we need to because you guys, being the super spreaders that you are, wearing nothing, that's a problem. Let's bring in the second glove. Will wearing two gloves become the norm? I guess is is the uh, the question that I need to throw to you boys. And was um, was Tommy Two Gloves gaining a pioneer in this space? Actually, I wonder if he was uh, if he was using two gloves in his personal life too. Because <laughs> good old yeah, Tommy, you, you, you recall his little uh, his little escapade or escapade? Shall we? Yes, say? we did uh, hear about the old Tommy's escapade. Anyway, oh. <laughs> we did. But Damo, you're the only one with that. What could only be described as a shit and grin on your face, <laughs> as you mentioned. To I'm me just laughing about so, Operation Sanders. You know, we're, we're far more mature for this. And as soon as Kipper arrives, I apparently yeah, have to down what yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> now, the first thing I will say is that when you mentioned super spreaders, I thought you were talking about the hotel quarantine thing again and about how that was. Not putting film. You were talking about two gloves and the super spreaders. We'll, we'll, I will guarantee you the glove sales, I'll guarantee you. And I, in fact, I'll get some data. Before the next yeah. podcast, that glove sales have not changed by one percent. They since will it COVID become? See, these change takes time. Phil. No, of course it won't. No, of course it won't, because since golf was invented in 1641, in fact, prior to that, under Queen Catherine, she banned the use of two gloves <laughs> because everyone had to. You bought them in pairs. You bought hunting gloves in a pair. 
and no one was rich enough to be able to take two gloves out for a round of golf, so they used to turn one inside out and give one to their partner to play golf in, and one they kept one for themselves. Is and that, that was where the origins true? of two gloves. No, oh, D, seriously. Not a chance. Oh, now, why that? For any excuse, that's the best one I've heard. <laughs> now, okay, wise that. ass, I'll go Hang somewhere on. else. Will we be playing in hazmat suits at some point? <laughs> <laughs> well, funny you say that, mate, because that's exactly what I just left with my mate said. Because every week we go back to play, something's more, you know, not allowed to shake hands and see yeah. elbow and the the, you know, the the foot touch, then not allowed to touch the pins, and then not allowed to actually, uh, you know, talk to each other, got a mask, and then I guarantee we're rocking up in a few weeks with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious. All right, boys. Let us move along and let's get into let's de- delve into some topics, Phil. Some top topics. Top so topics. So this week's top topic. Uh, we're actually. I want to kick. The, I want to now that we've got D's in here because we did speak last week uh, a little bit about the virtues of swinging like a professional or, or imitating swings, which we learnt in a in the distraction, not the distraction challenge. What were we doing? The um, what was You're the challenge? The Phil? Story. Yeah, the one we did. <laughs> um, yeah, good story. Uh, what did we do? Who was he? Was that the one? Oh, the makeover one? challenge. I there we go. I got you. I'm back on. I'm back on track. The, doing the makeover challenge. Not that we're revealing who I was made into, but that swing or adopting that swing. You both said, "Wow, that's a better swing. You need to be, need to be doing it." So I guess we were talking last week about should we try and should we try and adopt or imitate swings of the best golfers in the world, and will we get any benefit from it? And I suppose you, being the swing expert, let's throw it to you. Yeah, well, the answer is yes. But but you, all right, the, and the, moving on to Phil, the, 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 the hard <laughs> the hard part about that is, and I get it every day, is who should they copy? That was actually the next question uh, I had for and you, and that's yeah. a really difficult one because it just doesn't come down to smato type. It comes down to body movement, sequential movement, and and length of arms, torso. It comes down to a lot of things on who they can copy or and therefore should yeah. copy. So it's it, quite a complicated answer in terms of yes, they should, but who. If we could simplify it a little okay. bit, if if you had yeah. someone who was coming over the top a lot, like mm-hmm. really struggling with a big over the top move, who would you tell them to to try and imitate or to um, impersonate in order to 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 get rid of the the big chunk of that? Yeah, it's, well, yet again, it's probably two different type of people. One would be like almost a Peter Lonard, who is a very um, muscly guy and uses a lot of arms. So therefore, the more arms you use, the less rotation you have in your Shoulders, so therefore, the better or more closed off you'll be coming into the ball, so you won't come over the top. So that's yeah. one way to fix it. The other way is if you're supple and got some good disassociation ability between upper and lower body, you'd try to get them to model it off someone like a tiger, who his shoulders are so closed coming into the ball that that's been a problem for him. Right, mm-hmm. very rare. It's probably like three golfers I've ever seen that have more. Shut, shut off shoulders than they is, should. Is have. that Justin Rose a bit like that as well? No, other opposite. He his shoulders get open or or steep, so his front shoulder, his lead shoulder dips. Yeah, and Juzzy gets a, a very dominant high shoulder or back shoulder. <laughs> Juzzy, is that a, is that a name drop, Phil? Of sorts, mate. Listen I used to, to hang you. out with Juzzy, J Man. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the funny part about it is I, I probably had a lot to do with him missing all of those 27 cups in a row in Europe first year round. Were there a few beverages only, involved? Yeah, my only year um, fully on the tour in Europe with Bads and Bads didn't make many cuts and Justin didn't make any. So, we were at nightclubs every Friday night and uh, poor Juzzy wasn't in a good way. He was um, he actually was basically on the edge of giving up at the slaughterhouse in Melmo. <laughs> <laughs> She's a lot happier. Everything happens in Melbourne. Anyway, point is, it's a really hard one, Dames. It's got so much to do with their body. Okay, what about if you had to make up a creative answer? So I'll tell you something about podcasts is that people are driving to golf <laughs> and they're like, give me something. I mean, just give me a hit. Make something up that actually goes against uh, your beliefs. In terms of who they should copy. Purely just to give us free to some information because otherwise <laughs> I'm going to throw some questions at you. They're going to make you very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, okay, so what? They've got an over-the-top swing? Who, who should- so what's the benefit? So first of all, what's the benefit in someone oh. trying to mimic a tour player and what are the basic fundamentals that they should try and align themselves with? Yep. So f- forgetting even a swing fault. But should I just, because I'm 11 foot four, should I look and say, Ian no. Baker Finch, Ernie L? You should look to see how high or low your swing plane naturally is. So yeah. if you're a high swing planer, try to model yourself off someone that is. If you're a low swing planer, try to model yourself off someone who is generally. That's why. And by high and low, how am I identifying so, that? I mean, if like, so yep. I'm filming myself on, again, on camera. Sorry, Dale. 
And where am I, am I? We're talking about with the hands at the top yeah. of the backswing are between yeah. like the head so, and so shoulder. So a good way to do it, a really, let's call it simplified way, is just set up from behind on your camera, draw a line or, or imagine a line from the ball all the way through the lowest part of your bicep and straight up, right? And that's what we call central plane. Uh, it's not shaft plane, it's not shoulder plane, it's, it's, uh, it's in the middle of those two. And that gives you an idea of whether you're high-armed, low-armed, or what would be called central plane-armed. And accordingly, you can model your swing off someone like that. Um, so some high-armers, uh, uh, you know, come off the top of there to Jack Nicholas or, or even modern-day Tom Watson, or old Tom Watson, both of them. Um, and then... You know, low plane is you, you know you've got your, obviously your famous ones in Hogan, but he he wasn't that low, believe it or not. He was mm-hmm. more centralised than people think. But yeah, Matt Kuchar, Ricky Fowler, um, mm-hmm. more low low armed, dominated. Plane. So who should who should I be trying to um to Im- imitate? Because <laughs> well, because you're saying you're saying you should try and imitate someone who's similar to you. Yep. But I'm quite a high arm plane. And you were you guys were getting excited when I low arm planed. Yes. So so there lies the bloody conundrum is because your high or the arms, contradiction depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Yes. Your, your high arms are a result of your arms lifting off of your torso and your torso stopping its rotation. So you've got let's call it cheating high arms. So they 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 run yes. on. Yes. Right? Sounds they, accurate. They so sound Patrick accurate. Reed. <laughs> so you're thinking they, Patrick yeah, Reed. You've got Reed Reed arms. They run on. Oh, um, and so, therefore, you need to be able to match your arms up with your shoulders better. So, lower planed just means that your thoracic will turn to the top and your arms rather than your arms lifting. And is that is that more, a, for me, is that more a case of just feeling like I'm shallower, I suppose? Is, mm. that, is that So, feeling more shallow. Because even when, even when I felt a lot shallower, I wasn't overly shallow either, was I? No. And when you did with the reveal, obviously, we don't not let on who the player was, but you modelled your swing around him and, and he's got a very structured left arm and a very kind of shoulder plane uh, height with his arms. And when you did that, I was just like, man, look at the turn. Look at – it was – everything was good. Yeah. <laughs> and the ball flight and the – like everything, yeah. it just got ticks. It just got ticks all around. So the alternative then, Kipper, what about I throw this one at you, is the manufactured mm. swing. So someone who comes at you, like I'm starting, because Dave was talking mm. about this as well, yep. starting out in the game and, and you know, what are the most important positions that you're trying to achieve and then building back. Because in Dave's mind, and I think it was a really good point, is that should there not be a very consistent teaching method from from beginners on the way up so that at least – you are learning like do we all agree the same fundamentals exist so what fundamental of a golf swing is is agreed upon by there's, all there's, coaches other than yeah, the amount no, you charge there's only and, and you know, hogan's book is a, is a beauty for that reason like he, he mentions five fundamentals that is right and it's it's pretty close to that being generically um spoken about as really that's about roughly you know the five that you need to have you need to have a decent setup you know, with a little bit of spine angle, you need to have a decent backswing pivoting around your angles and you need to have a decent plane and not be stupidly in or stupidly out. Um, you need to have a bit of weight, weight transference to the ball, right? And, and obviously then the release, which comes down to your arms doing the work for you rather than your hands. And if you've got those five fundamentals, any elite coach in the world has the exact same fundamentals. They just talk about things in a more specific way and put names on them like mm-hmm. for example stack and tilt which was revered then lambasted for you know the rest of history those th- that technique if you understand what they actually are trying to do is very similar to the five fundamentals that hogan was trying to do you just stack your weight a little bit more well you know for most players and i'm, I'm talking 80 percent of the players around the world that would be a good technique to to try to do because most people hit it fat and don't transfer their weight so it's so, a bit of remarketing, a bit of rebranding of a of an old swing like theory. You, you need a hook Marketers in any, in any business, no don't you? Like marketing, it's all it is. It's a hook, right? And method teaching, I, I don't like it as such because there isn't one, an answer to Dab's question, there isn't one method because everyone's got different tendencies. So that's what's frustrating about golf. You can look at um, YouTube to your blue in the face, but you won't know what's right for you. And that's why it's, it's a very hard thing to have one sort of set of techniques. But there is a basic rule of thumb that any beginner can follow. And, yeah, the Hogan book or, or a couple of other um, books are really good like that. And what about if you're building someone from scratch? Mm. So someone comes to you with a little bit of an idea versus someone comes to you and they're and learning. Because there are a couple of guys who, when we went down to King Island, who you can see it was so desperate to yeah. get good at golf mm. as quickly as possible. You could see there was a lot of – and it wasn't by any stretch of the imagination paralysis by analysis, but it was – 
um, conscious competence. So they were actually having to yeah, think yeah. about the movements they were performing as opposed to having it so ingrained it could yeah. just flow. Hey, what, what's, the, um, what's the line you draw? Like if you were building someone from the ground up, do they have to go, do you say, just go and learn to kind of just whack it a little bit and come back and show me yeah, what it's, you... Yeah, yet again, mate, that's a cracking question because I get that every day and it's really up to their application and what they want to or can put out, right? So if I've got a beginner, you know, never played the game before and they come to me and I ask them, I pretty much drill down them first session about what they want to achieve. And if that is, look, I want to get as good as I can at this game um, and I want to play it for the rest of my life and they're, you know, keen and they've got, they've got some discipline, I literally will have the conversation with them, right, we'll start from start and, and we'll mm. just build up your fundamentals. But it's not going to mean that you're going to hit it poor. You should continually get better for the rest of your life because a good coach will not only give you a fundamental but help you along the way, giving you something that works with that fix. With that, will you try and work with their natural swing or will you try and – because today we see a lot of – we've talked about this a lot. A lot of swings are very similar. There's almost this robotic style of swing yep. being taught that these are this is the way to swing. Do you try and – like if you had a Ricky Fowler now pretending he hadn't swung, knowing that he's got his own natural swing, would you try and work with that or do you just restructure it and get it back into the – 100% with that, right? And even a beginner – that, that comes to you and they say to there's a f- further to your point Phil it's a beauty where you said well you just go away let them go away and hit a few balls well that's precisely what you should do in a first lesson I think from for any coach is just go first of all they're nervous so you just go right okay you just hit a few balls I'll get a few shots on tape I'm just going to see if my cameras are working here and just pretend you don't know what you're doing sort of for the first giving minutes, away your is, secrets here <laughs> which is easy yeah. for me to do because half the time I don't know what I'm doing and <laughs> As they warm up and hit the ball, all you're actually looking for is body movement, subtlety, basic mechanics and what they're able to do through through the ball and in their backswing with their, their body and their arms. And then you can have that conversation about, okay, here's some fundamentals we need to put in, you know, your grip and your stance and your blah, 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 blah. But you're going to need this grip because of the way you release naturally as a beginner. Or you're going to need this particular backswing plane because of the way you now come down to the ball. Or And you can have that conversation very, very easily with a beginner because they don't know anything better. right? Mm. But further, you're coming about divot. You mentioned before um, we have a mutual... We, oh, just I didn't We have a mutual did. friend. And uh, divot's been an interesting one because he's, he's now just starting to come out the other side and he's been with me for two or three years. And this guy was a jet. Like, he used to play against some really good amateurs um, when he was growing up, you know, namely some big guns, your, your Applebee's and so on. And he just chose a different career path. But his swing was very manipulated and therefore he could shoot, you know, mid to high 80s and he could also shoot under the card. So with him, it's been about structuring a swing that works for him, not for everyone else. So he's got still a very unique kind of action, but it's, it's been about putting in what I call them tendency blockers, block their problem rather than try to teach mm-hmm. them an Adam Scott swing because that's never going to work for a guy like that. So, yeah, so I think for beginners, just to sort of round off on this, is that there is absolutely fundamentals that you can follow and and put into your game that no coach ever should be able to argue with, basically. And what's the one safe word that should be mentioned to Divot standing on the first tee that will completely dismantle his round for the day? I think there's a number of listeners <laughs> who would be interested to know. Is there one little suggestion yeah, you could on say the way? Him something of- like, you're swinging too slow, you need to speed it up. Because the guy, the guy has the <laughs> yeah. quickest golf swing I've ever seen in my life. So if he thinks he's he needs to go faster, he will hit it sideways. The div, but he's playing all right. He's playing all right. No, he's a very he's a very very good player and a very a very long hitter. But this idea of the the golf swing and that was where the to get back to Damo's original point was this discussion we had around imitation. And so in a mm. number of sports, you know, Dave imitated Andrew Gaze, um, slightly different body types. But mm. to your point, Dave, mm. in terms of release striving for an optimum and initially the conversation we had last week is was your match by body type but but i think this idea of of playing and just getting an understanding mm. of what your own golf swing does i think will actually probably a help lot of a, people a lot of people just get a sense of of how that might look and how they might yeah uh, and i think quite with, with all of the the people i've ever coached i think there's just always with golf a sense of frustration that you're not sure if you're working on the right thing mm. so therefore try a bit of this try a bit of that and there is this definitely go around in circles type of a of a result whereas if you get 
let's call it nice set of basic fundamentals that you know are right for the rest of your life you've always got those to fall back on even if you're playing pretty crap you can go right let's just check me posture let's just check my ball position let's just check things that you know are right and, and that that i think for anyone is a no matter who how good elite or otherwise is is basically a great way to start Beautiful. That should almost be made a rule, uh, Philly, which, speaking of, you've got a few rules you wanted to tickle our way through. I just, yeah, look, I mean, I've mentioned a couple of rules over the last couple of podcasts, but I just thought that there is this element of they helped us or hurt us. And so I'm just going <laughs> to do Rules, rules in general or? <laughs> you two, of whether these rule changes have helped or hurt the game or what you might do differently. So let's, going back to one of the origins, uh, going back to the 19, uh, early 1930s when they said, mm. no longer can you have as many clubs as you want in your bag. You've this is brilliant, Phil. I did not know that. Does, does your game improve? Yeah, there, there used to be, in fact, there was a, I think it might have mm. been the Open Championship. And they had like, like 30, 30 clubs 27. or something. Someone had yeah. 27 <laughs> clubs in his bag. And so they was felt, his name Phil Mickelson? And, and can you believe this? <laughs> Kipper, can you believe this? Ian one of their concerns, <laughs> one of their concerns <laughs> was for the caddy. Oh. Can you believe that the ruling body, one of their concerns was for the caddy having to lug around. That was the one concern club, anyone's ever had for a caddy. You know, that got <laughs> laughed out. But they decided that it actually was uh, important to not differentiate between the haves and the have-nots and the rich and the poor. So let's come up with a number. And 14 was completely arbitrary. Yeah, but right. if you had the opportunity to carry more clubs, would you? Well, uh I guess. I don't yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, no, good guess. Yeah, no, no. I was no, no, yeah. something a bit more definitive. Is fourteen is fourteen not enough? Because you've you've talked to us about having less clubs in your bag, just going out and playing with a half set and you'll become a better golfer. Yep. And does but, adding more actually help you? I suppose I suppose there's an argument for it, both. It it does when you know effectively how to what use doing. the weapons. Yeah. So so once you get to yeah, let's call it a Phil Mickelson's level because he does love swapping his clubs out. You know, Phil could honestly have 25. How many do they have, Phil? 27. 27. Yeah. So, so oh, up to Phil could use 27 clubs in, in, a, in a round, I've almost no doubt, all right? He'd have, you know, a left-hand driver, a right-hand driver, a left-hand three-wood, a right-hand three-wood. Yeah, set up. Set, I'm drawing a phone sorry. You know, he would have all the different wedges under the sun. Uh, you probably have two different parts, a toe hang and a central hang for left to right parts versus right to left parts. Um, you mm. could, at that level, it actually would be somewhat of an advantage. But to most of the people that are playing who don't have a chance to spend, you know, three or four hours a day hitting shots and, mm. and you know, getting some use out of those different clubs, the less is more. Like all of my students, I just tell, have two wedges. Don't have four. Like, it's ridiculous. You don't know how to use them because, you know, you you have to use them. Exactly right. right. But, but, yeah, it's like, it's quite an art, the short game area. And if you're not out there. Phil's an artist for sure. Yeah, your bounces and all that uh, stuff that actually matters. But if you don't know how to use them, you're wasting your time. It just confuses the problem. I'd like it to be 15 clubs. My short game's off the tee, Shooter. What are you doing? Yeah, I'd like it to be 15 clubs, Phil. I just want one more. <laughs> I always just I always get there. I, I don't go, care I just, what it is. I feel like I can just one shorty. I'd like I'd like a hybrid here, or I'd, I'd like another a, a two iron, or I just I don't. I, I've got a, mm. I've got a lot down one end, so I've got a lot of wedges. Contrary to although although I can play wedges sort of a little bit, just one more. Fifteen. Fifteen's a better number. I love that though because I reckon it's so true because the amount of times that I would caddy too, and it was different courses, and it was like, do a, does a player put mm. in a you know, one eye back then, a one iron or a, or a five wood or a like, you know, what what's needed around here, and and then you get on on game day and they've ch- chosen the the five wood and it's blowing a gale and you're like, damn, I wish I had that one. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the thing for me, just just one more. But then if I had fifteen, I'd probably say, eh, might just need sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was also, and Kipper, I'm sure you're aware, being the super caddy and the uh, a oh, history yeah. buff as you are, when Hogan won the U.S. Open, he didn't carry yeah, a seven so iron at Marion. That one, but. It- in the final round. So that's, I mean, that's exactly how good these guys can can get, but he still had the uh, full complement mm. of bags. All right, so that's 14 clubs. What about the stymie? Do we need to bring back the stymie when, for when match play? When did it plant? go out, Philip? You know these. Got it. Exciting. 19, 1952. So it was adjusted to six inches in 1938 and then was finally taken, removed in 1952. So they were playing match play golf up until 1952 was it was it green? Yeah, I was going to say, was it, is it the greenskeepers who had this uh, this rule <laughs> taken changed or? 
I don't want yeah, just because of the divots that we've been taken yeah. out of the ground to get around. I'm not. I'm not sure, but yeah, the stymie. The idea of the stymie is that if your ball is between your opponent and the hole, you can leave it there. And until until 1938, that could literally be sitting mm. on the lip of the hole. And then they made it six inches back, so at least you had a chance to chip over it. Have you seen? Uh, have and, you obviously have seen some of the footage. It's it's oh, pretty it's amazing awesome. how good so those how, pros how are entertaining it is. How, you want to make golf entertaining again? Bring that element into it. A bit of a bit of snooker into it. It's outstanding. It'd be a classic, wouldn't I'm, it? I'm for it, Phil. I'm for it. And Westy would have won a hell of a lot more because he wouldn't have left so many short. <laughs> Bring back Stymies. It'll certainly change up the Ryder Cup stroke and distance. I, Damo, you mentioned yep. in the last podcast. I, I'm a, I hate I hate the stroke and distance rule. I'm penalised enough. One so or the other. Out of bounds, you saw, drop you one. saw my game changer. I say we. You get one or the other. It's like a fault. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to um, agree with that because how much would it speed up the game too? Uh, massively. Yeah. If you, usually if you hit out of bounds, that, that person um, ends up hitting two or three out of bounds. Yeah, exactly. So dropping rules, the over the shoulder, meaning over the back of the shoulder, shoulder high, knee high. I, I, can you explain to me why the drop exists at all though? Like the whole dropping concept to me just seems weird. You're taking a penalty. Why can't you just place it? Because golf was a game invented by short people, <laughs> and so the minute they had a tall bloke and they wanted to keep oh, him down, Philly the down victim again. They had You're always a victim. They wanted, yeah, yeah, victim again. They wanted to be able to make the drop have a worse impact on tall people than short people, so they made it shoulder height, knee height, over the shoulder, anything. It just plays it's so, it's the such bloody an thing. Easy con- just plays it like seriously. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're on the same page, aren't we? It just it couldn't be a less important thing. And watch when, when they drop it near the- It's um, like five times they yeah, drop the it. the edge oh, of the water gosh. and it rolls down and bloody caddies are down there <laughs> grabbing it. And, oh, yeah. Right. And then and then what do they do at the end of that? They place it. Place it, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's oh, right. It landed about now, there. We've thought of, yeah. I've thought about, since, since the last podcast as well, I've thought more about this continuous putting idea. And I think continuous putting is, it should be a mandatory thing, which is the minute you start putting, you can't remark your ball. Mm. You have to putt um, out. You just have yep. to all in favour. All right. I'll project that. Uh, Caddy's standing behind a player. This was outlawed in 2000 after Siri Pack. Did they outlaw the, it on the LPGA? The US I thought it was still allowed in the LPGA. Ah. Yeah. No, you can line them up, but you can't stand behind them while was they're playing. Was it just playing. a green um, or throughout the tee to green? No, they tee to green. No, no. So initially it was on the right. putting green and now it's everything. So they, they outlawed the putting green yeah, first. I'm- but then in 2000, because Siri Pack was, was hitting, I'm sure it was Siri Pack, was actually hitting, and her caddy would stand behind her while she. Mm. Yeah, well, the, for me, that's a pretty easy one. Yeah, alignment's a skill in the game. Do you think so? So oh, yeah, so you should you should be having to do it yourself. I think. Yeah, may, may, maybe, I, I, but I just think, it, at, especially at that level, I'm surprised it makes that much of a difference. Really, like a pro usually mm. feels the shot a lot more and will have a shut or open stance accordingly. I, I just think it's one of those. Who cares? But I it was it was very much more predominant on the LPGA tour. We got to a point where every time one yeah. of the ladies would be lining up, they'd have, you know, they'd be getting lined up by their caddy. Yeah, um, told, yep, you're perfect. That's right. You're aligned to this. You're that. Like, that's o- yeah. that's overkill for me. It's going to make the game. It's going to make the game slower. I think yeah. alignment is a skill in the game that you should learn. It's a part of being a good golfer or any kind of golfer. Really, you got to learn how to align yourself. So I yeah. say. And to that to that degree, should it, should green reading books? When we talk about PJ Tour and we talk about how good caddies are when they're not falling in bunkers and getting drunk, <laughs> when's that? Or falling asleep on buses? But but are green reading books by the same token not the same thing? Mm-hmm. Like Ian Poulter would argue that that one of his great gifts in this game is to be able to stand on a green and immediately see what's going, yeah. going on. And then you've got these Brysons of the world who try and, you know, they get a book that-, that Well, doesn't it take, yeah, James takes out the whole point of having undulations in the, that it's telling you exactly where it's going, takes out that subtlety. I don't know. I, I think we're, we're taking out a lot of the skills that make the game brilliant by doing that sort of stuff. So, Kipper, was one of, was one of Badley's gifts, Kipper, because obviously it wasn't yeah, you, was it one of Badley's me. gifts reading oh, 100%, greens. and uh, undoubtedly it wasn't me. He'd never let me read a part unless it was so annoying. He'd never let me read a part unless he didn't know which way it was going, and they're the hardest parts in the world to read. Yeah. So I'd come in there going, well, I haven't read a part for three days here, and this one means like <laughs> the world to him. <laughs> Have a guess. No, but y- you're right. Like he, he was a phenomenal green reader, but there's two parts of green reading. There's knowing which way it goes. That's, that's one part of it. But it, speed and pace and break, it, 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 like that. that's – I suppose more got to do with green reading, I think, than than just the the line because you know Faxon would often train 
with one ball from a particular spot, like say six feet away from the hole, but then trained to hit it in different sections of the cup. Yeah, okay, different entry yeah. points. Yeah, yeah. and that's a, that's, um, that's the same sort of I guess thought process, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, so I was just going to say, what about Allenby? How was he? How was he with that? Would he let you read? Was he a good reader or not so good at reading, or was it just actually, his execution no, with the you, with the putter that wasn't? No, well, Allenby, if you if you know his history, he was a jet when he was he younger. Was putter, he was actually yeah. a hell of a putter, right? But mm. just lost his way and lost the confidence, and then the technique started to really fall off. And when anyone has a you know poor technique coupled with getting questioning themselves a little bit, then you guys go down rapidly. So that was his demise in the early you know whatever early two thousands. He just wasn't um, he wasn't there with both. So is badly? Can you just confirm this? So you were his caddy. And you were not allowed. No, no. To read I read all, almost. Sorry, I'm probably worded that poorly. I read almost every part, or if not every part that he ever did, right? But then I had to not say a word unless he asked. <laughs> How often oh, did he ask? You know, sometimes it was more confirmation. So oh. he would he would go right to lefties, and as long as I did see that, and I had to be honest with him, I'd say yes. You know, slight. Blah, blah, blah. But when we got to green reading, it was actually quite an art with him. Obviously, I don't know how much time I got here, but it was more effective. I had to actually go into great depth of how I'd verbalise the break to him. Because when I see a player setting up for three feet and they're aiming, say, let's call it a ball on right lip, okay, and they know the ball goes right to left. I've heard this for my whole life on tour. The caddy goes, oh, right lip. The bads would shoot me if I said that to him. Because right lip, what does that mean? Because uh, if he hits that like right a, lip, a pacing as well, depending correct. on the pace, is it? If, yeah, if he hits okay. it right lip, he can hard or he can hit it soft, and both can miss, right? So I'd have to word things like we'd work a lot on our wording on exactly how we'd word different sections of the cup for pace. So I'd walk in and say, if you're aiming to hit the ball a half an inch down the back of the cup, good holding speed, right lip's fine, and he would go. Uh, I want to actually dial this in a little bit more. I'd say, okay, so ball falling in the middle of the cup, not touching any edge, and you need to aim about a ball and a half outside right lip. And he goes, okay, fine. So he would try to then have the ball fall into the cup, but without hitting the back of the cup. You know, wording like that, we used to work on that a lot together away from the away from tournament play mm-hmm. so that he and I both knew how he was thinking about a putt. And that's what I ended up taking to Allenby as one of our you know, big shifts is once we started to get a good team, we needed to talk about how we were going to talk about break because it's so mm. different. You know, hit it on right lips, just a stupid thing to say. That worked well. <laughs> that did. I, uh, he's, he's putting. When we got together, he was ranked 210 and I knew we had a meeting with his trainer and we said if we can get him down to 130 in the world or better – he will win tournaments. And, we and they, they did win. They did win the Triple Crown, Phil. <laughs> it's not exactly like he didn't hole any putts. <laughs> yeah, anyway, he, um, yeah, no yeah, he putted and ended up putting, putting pretty good. Had you ever – and last question on the putting thing because there is one last critical rule change. Did you ever overall bads on a putt and yeah, get it my, right my, or wrong? Actually, I've, I've got a two or three moments in my whole caddying career that I really hated, and I, but I backed myself, but I was wrong. And one of them was at Augusta, 10th green, second day, first time we ever played. <laughs> Not yeah. that important. And um, I'll never forget that as long as I live. But uh, anyway, I was what it was. No, so, no please, please, feel free to tell us. Do you remember the read? Yeah. I'd like to we're playing with Tiger, first two rounds Bing. as a name drop. And we turned the 10th hole, turned on the 10th, and we're, I think it was one over or even, and cut looked like being one over. And so right on the cut line and looking good, we're leading that amateur by a mile and he really wanted to win leading amateur and get in Butler Cabin. Cabin That was his big goal for the tournament. And we're like, well, we're home here. All we've got to do is just, you know, make some birdies coming in and we're in contention for the tournament, let alone amateur stuff. And um, anyway, gets the 10th hole, hits the green and reg. He's got about 35 foot across the slope, horrible putt, pins cup sort of middle, middle left. Hits a good putt, but leaves it high. And he's got about four or five foot coming down that hill and it's a brutal putt to have. So he gets over it, calls me in because he doesn't know which way it's going and I have a good look and I, I said, um, I think it's going, I think um, outside right edge, if you're going at you know, holding speed where the ball's dropping, so it's just on outside of right edge. And he's like, what? He goes, I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing it going left right. Oh, no. And yeah, yeah and then well. we were at a conundrum, so we had another look and, and I said, look, mate, I, I'm seeing the other way. He goes, and, and I said, so if you're seeing left, right, I'm seeing left, right edge. I said, let's just hit it at the hole. 
And he's like, yeah, okay, I'm happy with that. So he hit it at the hole and he was right. It broke to the right and lipped out right edge and um, turned on him down and then ran on four or five feet. He was steaming, right? And he got back over the next part, didn't ask me, hit it, and it broke the way I said. So it broke the other back to his left. So then he lipped it on the other side. So he four putted. And I could count on my hands and one hand, the amount of times I've ever seen Bad's four putt. So he walks off with double and just the biggest kick in the guts. And we were silent for quite a while. And we worked on, walked onto the next tee. And um, you could just see the wind was right out of his sails. So and I didn't know what to say. I said, I know you hit every putt there where you wanted. So let's just move on and, and keep hitting them where you want. And he was so. Like, it was really good of him, actually. He turned to me and he said, your read was right second time around. First time it wasn't. He goes, so let's call it even. And we walked off and that was that. So I still had the confidence to stand up and call a few shots on the way home. And we ended up having a putt on 18 and it lipped out from making a cut, which was shattering. But And then you went on a three-day bender. Come on, tell oh, us that story. Well, I was just <laughs> devastated. We were devastated. <laughs> but um, I'll never forget that putt and that, that bad read. And on that note, we'll bring this Tenuous Links golf podcast to a close. Special thanks to today's sponsor, Ping, and the game-changing Hepler putter range. Nine models to choose from, and all with an adjustable length shaft. Check them out at ping.com. And be sure to watch our first season of Golf Barons, available now and going great guns on demand on KO and Foxtel, with new episodes being released weekly. You can also head over to baronslife.com and help us out directly by buying the full season for yourself and sign up to get reminders about this podcast and Barons Life Golf and Lifestyle magazine with our latest issue coming out very shortly. Keep an eye out for that. Until next time, Barons, from the three of us, add some swagger to your swing.